You made it up and out. Some of you heard the pitter-patter on the roof or on your bedroom window, and the thought came through your mind, man, should I just stay in bed? And uh, so you won that, that little battle, and I'm glad that you're here. I'm, I know the guys at your table are glad uh, that you made it out of bed. Uh, as some of you know, uh, I grew up in a family where I was the middle son, a family of all boys, three boys. I was the middle one. And that now, as a dad, we have four kids, and of those four, we have three boys and one little girl. And so it shouldn't surprise you that when somebody sent me something in the mail with this title, Things I've Learned from My Boys, kind of caught my attention. So uh, knowing that we're talking about wise families this morning, I thought might, this might kind of get us going, frame why why we need God's word so desperately. Uh, let me go through a few of these. A, a king-size waterbed, what I learned from my boys, is that a king-size waterbed holds enough water to fill a 2,000-square-foot house four inches deep. <laughs> I like this one. If you spray hairspray on dust bunnies and run over them with rollerblades, they can ignite. Who would have thought? A three-year-old boy's voice is louder than 200 adults in a crowded restaurant. I really like this one. If you hook a dog leash over a ceiling fan, the motor is not strong enough to rotate a 42-pound boy wearing Batman underwear and a Superman cape. It is strong enough, however, if tied to a paint can to spread paint on all four walls of a 20 by 20 uh, square foot room. This is good. You should uh, not throw baseballs up when the ceiling fan is on. When using a ceiling fan as a bat, you have to throw the ball up a few times before you get a hit. A ceiling fan can hit a baseball a long way. And this one follows logically. The glass in windows, even double pane, does not stop a baseball hit by a ceiling fan. This, is, this number seven here is uh, something we experienced in the Anthony home just recently. When you hear the toilet flush and the words, uh-oh, it's already too late. <laughs> and I've never done this. Brake fluid mixed with Clorox makes smoke and a lot of it. Raise your hand if you've ever tried that one. How many of you are going to try it this weekend? There you go. Play-Doh and microwave should not be used in the same sentence. This is interesting. The spin cycle on a washing machine does not make earthworms dizzy. Eleven. It will, however, make cats dizzy. <laughs> cats throw, 12, cats throw up twice their body weight when dizzy. <laughs> and let me just bring it to a close with this. Uh, for those of you who read this and have no children, this is totally hysterical. For those of you who already have children past this age, this is hilarious. For those of you who have children, especially boys this age, this is not funny. <laughs> for those who have children any nearing this age, this is a warning, and this is key for those who have not yet had children. This is birth control. <laughs> All right. We are talking about wise families. We need truth from God's word that shapes the way we live out our lives, our faith, our, um, our dreams within the context of family life. And so we really are, brothers, looking at uh, society's great challenge, and that is the formation of strong 
families that will improve in some way uh, the building blocks that uh, really all of history, all, of, all civilizations have ultimately been built upon the foundation, the structure of family life. And uh, I can't begin to count. I started to yesterday and I just kind of gave up. How many books are in my own personal library? How many are in our bookstore and our own growing place library devoted to this whole issue of family and family life? A lot of studies have been conducted and a lot of courses have been taught and we are uh, quite literally drowning in a sea of information on how to pr improve uh, the plight of families. And so it's uh, in the face of this tidal wave of data that the writer of Proverbs, we believe to be King Solomon, kind of distills it for us. And as men, isn't it true? Uh, when anybody takes something that's uh, complex and uh, sort of overwhelming in its volume and is able to bring it down to bullet points, we love people like that. Well, I believe that's what Solomon does in the book of Proverbs especially as it relates to family life and what it really means. Uh, it will bring the focus this morning in the context of dads for obvious reasons. What it really means for dads to flourish in their God-given role is dads. And I know, of course, in this room that uh, some of you aren't even married yet. Uh, and so you might, you know, this is future. And so you can put this somewhere and dig it out in the archives. Uh, some of you here this morning uh, are going through, uh, are, are uh, kind of rebounding from the pain of a divorce. And again, talking about kids, it stirs up in you some sadness and hurt because you don't have nearly the kind of time with your own kids as you wish you did. Some of you, I can just look out and see, we've got some folk, and uh, for you, you've launched your kids. Now they're, they've blessed you with grandkids, and so you kind of get to start all over uh, in the molding and shaping mode. But uh, wise King Solomon really does boil it down to two things. And you see that in your outline, which I'll, I'll say, I told this to Dan Patterson, some snafu happened, and there, if you haven't noticed already, there are no fill-in-the-blanks this morning in your outline. And uh, so you might have to really fight to stay awake. So you might want to at least take your pen and underline an important word. You get half credit for that. And uh, you might want to have me come back more often because I make it really easy for you. But here's what Solomon said. Boil it down. There are really two essential uh, characteristics or uh, ingredients, if you will, to a, a healthy uh, home. And here's the first one, a secure home environment and a solid commitment to passing on truth. And so that really is what we're talking about today, a secure environment, or we could say a healthy context. And then also a solid commitment to passing on truth, we could say solid content. So what we're going to see this morning and what we believe that Solomon is really teaching us, especially in chapters 1 through 9, that the way we build healthy family is to focus on those two things, a secure and healthy context and a thoughtful and caring, uh, uh, meaningful content uh, that gets communi uh, communicated uh, to our kids. I'm going to lower this down just a little bit. Thank you. 
So with that, let's look at this passage of Scripture. We've, we've worked through the beginning of the book of Proverbs a little bit, so I do want to maybe take a half a step back and uh, get our attention focused here on Proverbs uh, chapter 4. So let me read these opening verses 1 through 9 of uh, Proverbs 4, and then we'll unpack it and, uh, and work through this today. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commandments and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, uh, get understanding. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. Still talking about this virtue of gaining wisdom. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. And so Solomon, as he sort of lays out this, this uh, vision, this dream, he's, he's trying to impress upon his, his readers uh, that in order for us to live a life that is honoring to God in the context of our families. Are you listening? Uh, we're going to need help outside ourselves. Left on our own, uh, we are not going to be able to form our kids and to, to live out uh, the kind of biblical values that we read in Scripture. We need to do it. Uh, we need to submit ourselves to God's word, God's word, and we certainly need the help of other brothers. So uh, just a, a word about the overall uh, context here, Proverbs really 1 through 9. Uh, most scholars will say it's really in this section uh, that Solomon is, Solomon is talking about uh, how one uh, uh, creates uh, a spiritual formation and meaningful values, the development of character in the life of a son or a daughter. And because we're a group of men today, and because of even the way it's written, really the way we're going to focus in on, on even reading this, it'll be through the lens of fathers and sons. It may be that you don't have a son. Maybe that you only have a girls. Uh, uh, maybe, again, you're not married yet. So you're, you're going to have to work on your own application and tweak this. Uh, but uh, what, what, what uh, Solomon is saying is that uh, God has a design for uh, the way family life should be. And there's this word wisdom that we've bumped into again and again and again in this study. And different uh, definitions have been given to that word, I know, in, in various weeks. I, I've always thought about wisdom as just another way of saying skillful living. The ability to live life with a sense of grace and beauty and, and care. And so, again, chapters 1 through 9 are all these little vignettes. And it's as if Solomon is uh, giving us a window seat on the front row... Uh, 
to listen in as he is in dialogue with one of his sons. And you remember, uh, this is 1 Kings, um, I didn't write that address down, but uh, 1 Kings 13 maybe, that we're told that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And so he had ample opportunity to take walks with his children because he had a whole lot of them. And uh, he's given us uh, uh, an insight, and it's, it's like a dad and a son walking along the road and the dad stopping at certain points and saying to his son, son, listen, I, I want to impress upon you some things. I want to say some things to you about this. And uh, I, I want to make this comment sort of on the front end here, and I meant to make it even earlier than this, but here's the comment. I know that uh, when a group like this gathers, and we're talking about family life, I know that there churns up in you any number of emotions. Uh, I know that some of you came from a family of origin, and that family of origin uh, left you pretty, pretty wounded and scarred. There really wasn't much of a relationship with your own earthly dad. He was busy all the time. He was grumpy. There may have been addictions involved. Uh, you know, a mom who was trying to hold everything together, but she became sort of neurotic and maybe a little bit controlling. I know that uh, not only the family that we came from, but, but the families that we're trying to raise, uh, no dad ever feels like he's hitting the ball out of the park every day, every time. And so, again, we live with that sense of uh, defeat. And, you know, I can never get it quite right. And for some of us, you know, we feel like our kids, they view us as their own personal ATM. And really, more than anything else, they're just interested in getting from us what they need. I met with a man earlier uh, this week, and it was a classic story, story like many of you in this room, where he really did uh, give himself to building his career and his professional life, and he did really well, and he climbed the ladder pretty high. Uh, but it is often said that he got to the top and realized that ladder all along really was leaning against the wrong building, and he assessed his relational life and realize, you know what, I may have done really well, I may have provided a lot, but it really did cost me my relationship uh, with my kids. And so to his credit, uh, he's trying to address that and trying to turn some things around. So uh, let's just begin by, by leveling the playing field, sort of a mass confession on uh, dysfunctional family life. How many of us here would be willing to admit that uh, you came from a family, your own family of origin, that had some aspect of dysfunction tied to that? Just go ahead, mass confession, raise your hand. All right. How many of you would say, in all honesty, that the family that you're in right now, the one you're trying to raise, the one that you're uh, engaged in, um, that there's a fair, there's a measure of dysfunction in the family that you are uh, trying to raise right now, okay? How many of you would be willing to admit you're pretty much the dysfunctional person causing all that? <laughs> Thank you. Right there with you. So again, we're looking this morning on godly wisdom for the home, what gets taught, and uh, the, the way to move forward 
is not about guilt. It's not about shame. It's not about having somebody stand up on an early Thursday morning reminding you of all the ways you fall short because every one of us is painfully aware of that. What we need is uh, some stepping stones. And what we need to see is, is that the home really is God's ordained institution for uh, where character development is supposed to happen. Don't know if you've really thought about this aspect recently, but God really did ordain three institutions. He, he ordained the government. Uh, here on Sunday night, uh, second, we've been working through a series called Red and Blue, trying to kind of get ready for the election and just uh, spending a little time helping people see that they can't just blow off the government and kind of do what you want, that there are obligations of citizenship. God uh, ordained that institution. God certainly ordained the institution of the church. And really the third institution is God ordained the institution of the family. And I think for many parents, um, they have farmed out the raising of their children and think that by writing uh, a hefty check to the right school, that all of that will kind of uh, get taken care of uh, on its own. And I'm just telling you, brothers, that's just not the way God ordained things. It's very rare to find a school that is uh, capable or even uh, signed on in terms of being interested in, uh, in the spiritual shaping and development uh, of your school, uh, just being involved in our own PDS. That's one of the things I really celebrate about the mission at PDS and uh, the intentionality there. Um, you're, you, know, you might not have a son at PDS. And, uh, you know, just, but here's what I want you to hear. The development, the spiritual development of your children is your responsibility. And that is why there's that important baptism moment where parents are up there holding their little ones and we're, we're able to remind them of some important vows. Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? And the right answer is supposed to be yes. Uh, do, you, do you claim God's covenant promises in their behalf? And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation as you do your own? Yes. Here's the kicker. Here's the big one. Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God? And do you promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before them a godly example? That you'll pray with and for them. That you'll teach them the sacred scripture. That you will strive by all the means that God appoints to rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, I do. And some of you are tempted to think, well, you know, little Johnny or little, they're going to a Christian school. They're covered. And I would just ask you to... Uh, Think about that a different way and let the school compliment you, but don't advocate your role uh, and your responsibility. It's just too important. So again, we're looking at the formation of healthy families, families that have been built on wisdom, and these things are essential. You've got to have the right context. It's environment. You've got to have the right content in terms of what is communicated uh, in, in those homes. And uh, what I want to do is just kind of look at this first one about this idea of, of commitment. Solomon tells us that the first building block to being a godly parent, are you listening, is to be a man 
who is full on in your own commitment to Jesus Christ, yourself. Parenting is first and foremost not about a bunch of data that you accumulate or tips that you glean. Parenting first and foremost is about being a certain kind of a person more than it is about doing a certain set of things. It's about being committed to fundamental values and truth that shapes your life. And I'll tell you why I believe this is so important. I didn't do this yesterday. I probably could have or should have. It may have helped me a little bit. But I, um, if you were just to Google uh, wise families or uh, raising healthy children, and you Google that, I'm guessing that you'll get some responses, which is part of the problem. See, what parents are looking for today, what's the secret? What's, what's the hidden formula so that I can read the right thing and then, and then work that out in my relationship? And then if I just do the right thing, then little Johnny will grow up and he'll be a good citizen and he'll love Jesus and he'll go to a good school and he'll meet the right kind of girl and he'll get a good job and he'll make enough money to take care of me in my older years. That's a really good plan. And we kind of think that way. But again... Parenting is not about getting the right list. It's about becoming a certain kind of person. And it's, let me say it again. It's about being a person who's committed to a certain set of fundamental values and truths that shape your life. So Solomon begins to talk about this commitment. And you'll notice that it begins first talking about his own commitment. Look back here at verse 1. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I will give you sound learning, so, you do, not, so do not forsake my teaching. Now look at this. When I was a boy in my father's house, do you see how he's reflecting? He, he's not referring to, you know, the, the, the present-day equivalent to a Dr. Phil book where he got insight and wisdom uh, steps and hints on how to raise his kids. What, what Solomon is really talking about here is uh, a sense of, of truth that has been inherited and passed down from one generation to another generation. And it's this picture of, uh, of a father sitting down with a son or a daughter and having uh, a talk with them. And uh, those of us who are dads, we, we, uh, we, can, we can boot up in our mind moments where we have had that kind of experience with one of our children. Where we've been able to say to a son or a daughter, you know, when, when I was your age, that's a sign you're getting older. You know, honey, when I was your age, I remember when I had a moment like this with my dad, who took me for a walk, just like I'm taking a walk with you. And at the heart of those words, it's the dad's really speaking a word of blessing, of instruction, of vision into the life of a son or a daughter. And here's the key. Son, I am not going to share with you anything that I have not been committed to in my own life. I give you sound learning. Sound learning just means to, uh, to receive 
The idea is here, it's, it's inherited wisdom, wisdom that's been passed on through the ages. In other words, what he's saying is, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to you tested and tried framework uh, to build your life upon. And again, that's the, the key here. The key on this point is to see that that legacy, that kind of spiritual heritage is passed down best when it's modeled in you and passed on through your life. And we don't have a lot of time to look at it, but maybe just note this. I've, I've put these verses in our already filled out outline this morning. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema, and, uh, which is all about trying, Moses trying to communicate God's values to the children of Israel. Verse 4 here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon what? Your hearts. And again, if you want to underline something, underline those two words. Uh, that is to say that the, what I'm about to impress upon you, which is verse 7, bind them around your neck, tie them around the doorpost, is something that um, is coming out of my heart, my own way of life. So before you teach the commandments, before you offer your children a, no a notion of how to live, you must live that out in your life first. With a friend yesterday for lunch, and he was talking about uh, growing up in uh, his home. His dad was a believer and a good man. And he was talking about the kind of impact that his dad had on his life. And in just a few minutes that we were kind of talking about his dad, there was, and this is a fellow who's, um, you know, in his, uh, you know, early 60s. And tears were sort of welling up in his eyes as he talked about the kind of man his dad was. And in his words, you know, I've met a lot of men and yada, yada, but I've never met a man as great as my own dad. And there's something in me that was just awakened, that just wanted me to be that kind of man uh, for our three and, uh, and uh, our three boys and our little girls. Unless our words, sorry, unless our works or our commitment precedes our words, then the words that we offer will just fall on deaf ears. The first building block to framing, to building the context of a godly home uh, is commitment. And I'm just going to tell you straight up this morning, um, I, I'm a fellow sojourner in this struggle, just like, just like you are. Um, I'll tell you about that in a minute. I was, I was uh, reading up this week, and I came upon a statistic that was just staggering to me, because it really isn't so much living out this commitment, this, this spiritual legacy that we're trying to create in our kids and grandkids, uh, has to do with just being present, and how difficult that is to be fully present with our children. And I read a statistic this week, the average amount of time that today's dads have where there is eye-to-eye -eye interaction, like I have with Pat right here. The average per day, eye-to-eye -eye interaction, connection, 
15 seconds. That's the average. Gary Chapman, in his book, Five Signs of a Loving Family, a list, and you don't have this in your notes, this is something you, you can write down if you'd like. Uh, uh, notes three parenting styles that every parent, and I'll say every grandparent, needs to fight off. And here's the first one, the absentee parent. The one who's so involved in social or marketplace endeavors that at the end of the day, they're just not there. The absentee parent. Second, the present but not available parent. This is the one who's home, but who's so completely spent by their day, they really have nothing to give. We call these vegetables. They just sit on the couch and the, you know, the, the one muscle that gets exercised frequently is the flicker muscle. That's, the, that's, their, that's their number one muscle and exercise. Our third, uh, Chapman talks about the helpless parent. And this is one who's been deeply wounded by the past and has never really been able to work through those issues in order to uh, put an end to some of that heartache and pain to be able to stop the, the legacy uh, of uh, hatred or abuse or whatever and give their kids something different. And again, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I mean, there are times where uh, I'm just so... Uh, compulsively drawn to meet every need in the cosmos that I'm not focused on the needs of our kids. I told Tracy, my wife, the other day, honey, I've got the great phrase to put on my tombstone. I was just trying to help, you know? And uh, man, that's the script for a lot of us. And this really did happen. The second one about being present but so worn out really did happen Tuesday night, working on this message, doing a little pre-study and a little preparation and one of our kids the, the, the boy that got bit by the shark, if you haven't heard that story, that's, that's what Mike Rose was, was praying about. And don't ask me about the story, because I've, I've told it too many times. That's the person sitting at your table. But anyway, so this little boy, this little boy asked me, hey, Dad, do you want to play ping pong? And I, and I really said this. I said, son, I just really don't have the time right now. And I went back to doing my little clicking, and I'm like, wait a minute. There's something not right about this. <laughs> I'm sitting here writing a message about not having enough time to be with your kids. And my son just asked me, would you like to play ping pong? And so I said, no. And so you know what I did? I went, yeah, I did go play ping pong. And, and, uh, and, and it was, uh, I just, I talked to him about what had just happened. I said, son, thank you. Forgive me. You know, sometimes God needs to take a little spiritual two by four and whack your daddy up on the side of the head. So absentee parent, worn out, distracted parent, um, a parent who's just not, not available. And here's, here's the great news of the gospel, and we need to hear this. Because as we look at our own families of origin, as we look at our own uh, ineffectiveness as dads or granddads, it's so easy for that wave of condemnation to come crashing over us. And again, here's, here's the good news of the gospel is that uh, your past is forgiven. It's amazing how resilient kids can be and how you know we can have an honest confession with our children and work through and so that your tomorrow can be different from your yesterday and that you can begin with the help of Christ to, to go in a different way. And uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, we talk about that a lot. That's the love chapter. But there's a, an end, a statement about what that kind of love 
looks like lived out toward the end of 1 Corinthians 13. And I've kind of tried to adapt this in my own prayers uh, and say, Lord, your word says that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It, it, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Uh, it never fails. And my whisper prayer is, God, would you help me to extend that kind of love uh, to the children that you've given to us? And again, you know, there's no way, dads, that you are going to be able, please get this, to minister and to shape your children effectively if you try to do it in your own strength. And I love this, this vision, this statement of Jesus in John 15. And you'll remember this. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who lives in me and I in him will have a fruitful life, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's our hope, that with his help, uh, we can create the right context, the right environment where our children will grow up and they will see in us those qualities that they want to emulate in their own lives. And again, um, those things are more caught than taught. You want to teach your kid about integrity? Well, you know, next time the cashier at Schnucks gives you too much change and you don't really catch that until you're in your car three miles away, it's to say to that son or daughter who's with you, hey, you know what, sweetie, I just figured out that we, uh, we got $10 more than we were supposed to get, you know? And you, right there, you've got a choice. Honey, you want to get a hamburger? You know, let's, let's rake this in. You know? Take advantage of it. Got to be an opportunist. Or to say, you know, let's go back. And that kid goes in in schnooks with you and watches you have that conversation with that cashier. You know, hun, you, you, know you pay me too much money. And uh, this is not mine. This is yours. And I'm telling you, your son or daughter will never forget a moment like that. It'll be tattooed in their mind forever. And again, what, what, what we need... Uh, most in our parenting is, uh, is not a new list of how-tos. What we need most is just to become a different kind of man on the inside so that out of us flows the love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that allow our kids to be shaped in the way of Jesus. That's the first thing. Spend the rest of our time looking at this second thing because it's not just about a context. It really um, is also about content, about what do we communicate. And I've been helped by a number of different authors that um, have allowed me to put together what I'm just calling this morning seven traits of a healthy family. I'll tell you up front that uh, there's a, a homework assignment. Uh, for you uh, after this lesson. And the homework assignment is between today and next Thursday is for you to sit, if you're, if you're uh, married, it's obviously going to be with your spouse. If you're not married, it might be with your parents. It might be with your siblings. It might even be uh, granddads that you can get your whole little clan together and have a little, have a little caucus. Uh, but it's to walk through these these seven traits and just say, you know, which, which of these do, do we as a family need to work on the most? And let's target that together. And what I want to do is just 
look at this on two levels because I think this is important. I want to look at, first, as we look at these seven traits, ask, did I receive this trait from my own family as I was growing up? And then secondly, is this trait being expressed daily in the family that I'm in now? So that's our, that's our uh, template as we walk through this. And for the sake of time, let's just dive into this first one where different authors uh, commented and said it different ways. This is the way I'm going to say it this morning, that a wise family displays an irrational love for one another, a life-giving love where there is love given and received in a way that, uh, that, that connects, a love that is spread lavishly to each member of the family, regardless of their age or their temperament or their competencies or their attractiveness. I'm thinking about a, the, the same kind of irrationality about love that caused the, uh, the disciple John to look to heaven and say this in John 1, 3, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. You could almost say that John was, was jolted by this, this massive dose of the kindness and love of God and being... Uh, transformed by that kind of love, he was able to extend that kind of love to the people that God brought into his life. Healthy families, healthy earthly families manifest stunning amounts, irrational amounts of love toward one another. There's love in the family. And on almost any healthy family target list, uh, this trait is almost always at the top on various people's list. It's the kind of love that causes a young um, 20-year-old freshman who's off to school for the first time to reflect back on her own family of origin and to be able to say, you know, um, I see now what I didn't see then. I see now the unbelievable sacrifice and commitment that my parents made to me. The, you know, the, the ballet lessons and the piano lessons and, and the parties and the birthdays and the trips and the proms and the homecomings. And it allows that girl to look back and to celebrate this, this great investment that was given to her. And it's something that actually increases her self-confidence and her own self-worth. Or the kind of love that makes a 28-year-old new dad look at his own baby for the first time and say to that baby, I'm going to do everything in my power to flood your life with the kind of love and uh, acceptance that came my way in the home that I was raised in. It's not a schmaltzy, sappy, syrupy, or performance-driven love that wears out, but it's a healthy, authentic love that is passed on. And here's the question on this first one. Did you receive that kind of irrational love extended to you and the family you grew up in. Second, are you expressing that kind of irrational love for the, fam the people in the family that you're in right now? We're going to need to move fast through these. Here's the, here's the second trait of a healthy family, is they communicate uh, to one another with, with grace and truth. Solomon says here in chapter 4, verse 4, Lay hold of my words with all your heart, 
keep my commandments and you will live. Or to say it another way, these words that I'm offering to you are meant to bless you, to produce in you a, a, a result that uh, conforms and transforms uh, your, your image. And I'll tell you why this idea of speaking with truth and grace is so important because some of us were, were raised in families where uh, we just sort of dreaded dad getting home at the end of the day because mama was not about to take the wooden spoon to us or whatever else the family preferred uh, torture technique was. You know, she just let all that go to the daddy. And, uh, you know, you didn't grow up in a home where you really felt like the things you did wrong were dealt with in a healthy way. And because of that, you grew up mostly in a fear-driven environment. And truth be known, that that same kind of inner motivation is what drives you today in your relationships and even in your business. I talked to one of our staff members the other day who uh, was taking on some new responsibility, and I asked him these two questions. I said, what is, the, what is it that you're most excited about this role? And he told me. What is it that you're most afraid of in this role? You know what he said? That I'm going to screw it up. And how many of us in this room, because of the environment that we came from, never really experienced truth and grace. And here's what the experts say. That the way a family is formed around these two qualities, truth and grace, that the number one relationship in the family that determines the health of this trait, this dynamic, is the way that the mom and dad relate to one another. And if the mom and dad are able to walk through their differences and um, do that in, in a healthy way and uh, really show that to the kids, uh, they really do create an environment where there's security uh, and trust. And um, I don't have time to go into a lot of it, but you know, before I came to second um, 150 years ago, uh, you know, I was involved in youth ministry, and when I started ministry here, is it was with college students. And I just can't tell you how many times over the years I've had conversations with students that basically went like this. I, I just can't talk to my dad. He is unapproachable. He's either busy or he's emotionally distant or he's, he's edgy or all he wants to do is fix me, whatever. And how that creates a, uh, a wound in the heart that is, uh, is what John Eldridge talks about in his book, Wild at Heart, where every one of us has that, that dad wound that we need to face and uh, to experience healing in if we're ever um, going to uh, be whole and to be able to give to our families. And again, in the fast-paced world that we live in, uh, times where truth and grace are communicated, it's amazing how few families today actually sit around a table, pass food, look at each other, and talk about their day. And uh, I think it's uh, uh, Robert Putnam uh, in his book, Bowling Alone, which is a book really about the loss of community. Um, the, just the, the stats on the, 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 uh, the fragmentation of family life is staggering. And where truth and grace is never really communicated uh, effectively. Uh, third trait, we'll move on. Well, let me ask you on that one. Did your family of origin communicate uh, to one another with truth and grace? Or were there a lot of explosions, a lot of, that was really good, but 
Is that the kind of environment that you came from? Do the members of your current family feel like they can talk to you and to, to one another with truth and grace? Third trait, healthy families affirm the value and uniqueness of each person in the family. This is so important. I was thinking about this when we were on fall break. Our oldest son, Tyler, is at UT, so we had Tyler for fall break. And I was the breakfast guy, and I was trying to, I asked a really dangerous question. Here was the question, what does everybody want for breakfast? It was unbelievable. You know, one kid, he just wants it fast and quick. You know, the other kid wants sweet. The other kid wants bulk. The other kid wants happy. The other, the mommy wants healthy. The dad wants whatever I can eat and get away with, you know? And just like, okay, why are you guys so different? Why can't you just all land on something? And how frustrating it is sometimes with, uh, in family life to have kids who are so radically different uh, from one another. And I tell you what, what tends to happen. It, what tends to happen is, listen to this, is the child in your family who is the easiest for you to deal with is the one that gets most of your positive attention. And that child grows up in that family with a radically different picture of what family life is. And if you want to revisit a really sad story in biblical history, go back and revisit the story of Isaac and Rebekah and their two sons, Esau and Jacob. I'll just read you from Genesis 25, 27. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. You grew up in a family like that. You know, one kid's really athletic, and so he's the apple of the father's eye and the other kid's musical or the, into technology, and the dad shakes his head like, what, man, where'd you come from? Huh? And that kid grows up experiencing that, experiencing the dynamic that went on with, uh, in, in, in Joseph's childhood where he was given the preferred treatment in the special coat, and he was the apple of his father's eye. And do you remember this response from all of his brothers? It meant it sets a whole new standard for sibling rivalry. When you, when you try to kill your brother and throw him in a hole and sell him to a bunch of, uh, of uh, nomads, that's, that's not a good family experience right there. So, again, uh, affirm and value the uniqueness of every family member, knowing that every single one of them has been uniquely designed by God. Is that true of the family you grew up in? Did you feel accepted and affirmed for who you were? Is that happening in your family now? Four, healthy family shares a common spiritual foundation. And again, uh, you know, the, the loss of values and the loss of a sense of, uh, of a moral base is as bad in our day as it has ever been before. So Solomon says, Proverbs 4, verse 7, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And you think back even to the words of Joshua to, uh, to the children of Israel, trying to help them see the kind of people they should be. Joshua 24, uh, verse 15, where he basically says, I don't know about the rest of you, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, you're going to have to figure out who you, who you are going to serve. And so building this kind of spiritual foundation that really does trump every other demand 
in your family life is absolutely essential. I want to get through these, so we're going to go to the next one. Healthy families instill a sense of responsibilities, of responsibility for each other. And I, you've had this dynamic, you, especially those of you who have younger children in the home. Something breaks, something goes wrong. You line up the kids and you ask, you ask the logical question, who did it? And it's just amazing, the shiftiness, the, the ability in that moment to just spin and transfer blame. It's just a study in human fallen depravity. At least it is in our house. And then kids grow up and they become CEOs and CFOs and they lead large uh, financial institutions and they send memos around to one another that, you know, we better, we better get all the cash out of this cow before somebody slaughters it. And nobody really goes, grows up with a sense of moral responsibility. Bill Bennett, who uh, recently wrote an article for World Magazine, this is what he said, the only hope for our society is to revive such virtues as self-control and prudence and honor and fidelity to commitments. And that kind of training must begin in the home where family members instill a sense of responsibility uh, in each other, where healthy families remind each other basic life lessons as you live within your means, you pay for your bills, you pay your bills, you honor your commitments, you work until the work is done, and healthy families are are really a gymnasium, a school where all these life lessons get taught one after another after another. And again, our children are watching and catching uh, those kinds of lessons as they observe us. And, you know, it's, yeah, I was telling you about our oldest son who came home from, from UT. He's a sophomore now. Some of you have kind of been through this, and it's, uh, it's old news to you. But it's amazing to me. He's had a year and a quarter of school, and yet the amount of wisdom he has about all things in life, including family suggestions and how we need to improve on our parenting skills. And I'm looking at him like, this is in, will you shut up? You have no idea what you're talking about, you know? And, uh, you know, old enough to say, you know, whether it's about the speed limit or something else, yeah, Dad, but you... I'm like, you know what, that's, that's a low ball. You can't go there. <laughs> Some of us, here's the last one, and we'll pull together with this one. What, before we do, we need to ask that same question we've been asking. Were you taught uh, those kinds of, uh, to live out, to be true to, to the kind of responsibilities and commitments that you made? Was that a family value growing up in your home? Is that uh, what's being lived out in the current family that you're in now? taking responsibility. Uh, then healthy families create meaningful traditions together. I'm just going to blow through this and say it's amazing to me uh, how many different authors had that on their list of healthy families. And I think it was for this reason. That people who experience, and try, let's try to get this, regular family traditions, and whether that's where how we're going to do Thanksgiving or how we're going to do Christmas or how we do birthdays or whatever. The thing that makes that so powerful is that it sends the message to the entire clan. We did it this way 10 years ago. We did it this way last year. 
We're doing it this way today. And you know what? In the future, we're going to keep doing that. And what that instills into that family clan is a sense of, of security, that little tradition. This is something I can count on. This is something I look forward to. And so the creation of uh, memories and traditions that serve as, as little benchmarks for the family to make sure people stay together and uh, remain connected is essential. And then this really is the last one, uh, that family, healthy families seek help when faced with an impasse. It's amazing when uh, you walk the hallways, whether it's here at Second or in your church or uh, where you work, and you kind of know enough about somebody's story to know that behind the facade, their life is completely falling apart. And there may be, you know, major alcohol dependency or a wife who's hooked on Xanax or a teen who's living out rebellion or something going on in one of the kids' lives at school that's creating havoc. And you approach a person like that who you know is carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. And you ask this question, man, how are you? And this is the response you get back. Great, I'm doing fine. You know, and I'll tell you, there's one word that describes that tendency, and it's the word pride. That we are so damn prideful that we won't roll down the windows of our soul and let another person come in and bless us. Some of you are carrying unbelievable burdens right now, and you're doing it alone. You were never meant to do that alone. And maybe it's some guys at your table. Maybe it's your own pastor or a pastor here or somebody at the Christian Psychological Center. Uh, for you to humble yourself enough to say, you know what? Here's the white flag. I need some help. I need somebody to come and walk with me because you know what? For some of us, everything is not fine. We end where we began, celebrating the fact that God puts us in families where we are formed and transformed. And that even though we've not received uh, the, the kind of spiritual legacy that maybe we wished, he'll give us the power and the ability to recreate a different legacy going into the future. And we can only do that with his power. We can only do that with his grace, and with the help of other brothers. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for uh, giving us the institution of the family. Uh, you were the first father of the bride, and uh, you set up the first home of Adam and Eve, and the home has been a mess ever since. And so we pray that with the little piece of uh, life that we have, that with your help, with the guidance and wisdom from your word and with true humility, that we will become the men that we'd want the people in our families to emulate, that our life would be our best response to your gospel and to your truth. For the men in this room who are carrying the weight of the world and doing it in private, please, Lord, give them the humility to reach out to a trusted friend or to somebody who can climb in the trench with them and to be a buddy and to show them the way of, uh, of true a Christian community. Give us your grace this day as we live out our lives uh, in your spiritual family. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, have a great day.